Hi, my name is Andrea Page, and this is the third episode of Hanging On For Hope. Imagine trying to hang on for hope after you've lost a child. Imagine trying to hang on for hope after you've lost a child uh, in a very dark and unfair uh, and unethical way. Today's guest is Angela Case. You may have heard of her. Justice for Jordan, hashtag Justice for Jordan, uh, is the hashtag she's using to bring awareness uh, to the death of her son who died in custody, while in protective custody, I might add, uh, at a Niagara Detention Center. This amazing woman, in her grief, is stepping to this tragedy with resilience and uh, love for her son as she digs and sadly is uncovering a lot of unethical and legal issues that are happening in our correction system in Canada that need to be addressed. So without further ado, I will welcome Angela Case. So welcome, Angela, to Hanging On For Hope, my podcast. Um, thank you for coming. I'm sorry that we have to have this conversation. Um, I just uh, talked about the name of my podcast, Hanging On For Hope, and I was trying to get my listeners to... <laughs> I feel like I'm going to cry already. Gosh, we just started. <laughs> Don't do that. I feel... <laughs> um, I was asking my listeners to imagine what it's like to continue hanging on for hope once you've lost a child. Um, This is me hanging on (laughs) for hope. This is you hanging on for hope? Yeah, everything I'm doing right now. My, the rallying and heading up to the government and my fight right now is me hanging on for hope, I guess, for, and... This can't happen to other families. It's happening to too many families. Too many families. I didn't want to get out of bed. (laughs) So by this, because I didn't say in my intro, your son, Jordan, died on December 1st, Mm -hmm. 2018, in a Niagara detention center. He had been there how many days? Um, Two, just over two months. Oh, he'd been there two months? And he was in protective custody at the time? He was in segregation they call right. that that unit so and the circumstances surrounding his death have not been concluded no. at this time yeah do you know anything they said they yeah they said it was um a fentanyl overdose um because it was um found like on his body well particularly in his nose so he did do it mm-hmm. um and they were waiting for the coroner's report to get the amounts and um and exactly what. Um, police investigations are still ongoing. There's a couple of them. They're still ongoing. Um, so I'm sort of kind of waiting to hear like all the results of everything, which is so tough waiting game. <laughs> yeah, really tough. Mm-hmm. Like trying to grieve with no closure or conclusions. Um, not lost on me that you said your son, you know, they found fentanyl in his system, but in segregation. Yeah. Right, so for the average everyday person who doesn't understand what the jail system is like in Canada when you're in segregation typically that would mean that inmates don't have other inmates don't have access they to have, you. yeah so they separate them general population for PC was protective custody and seg they call it is segregation so typically you're by yourself 
Um, you can't, even the chaplain didn't have access to Jordan. Um, he was doing workbooks, self-help workbooks. Um, the chaplain had to send down. Um, the only people that had access to him were the guards in that um, area and um, the uh, social worker assigned to him. So other than that, he was... They're so, not allowed to mix. Yeah. So if you're protected so, custody, you're not allowed to mix with the general population. Right. Yeah. So your story is pretty public in the news, and I might include some links so my viewers can get some more background on what has actually happened. There's lots out there. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to leave that part there. What I'm just going to end it with, your son was found with an excessive amount of fentanyl with him, with the only people who had access to him being professionals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave that there. That's as far as I know. That's as far as we know. <laughs> so I was talking to you before I came because I wanted to check in with you. Of course, my approach to advocacy, um, aside from doing all the work that I try to do to raise aware or awareness around what needs to be reformed in corrections, is understanding early intervention and understanding who these human beings were before mm-hmm. they got into custody, right? So I was asking you so many... Uh, things about um, Jordan and you were telling me some really wonderful things and so I just wanted to again talk to you about you know the things that you've struggled with with Jordan over the years Uh, I myself as a mom who has a son in custody um, know that that we didn't just wake up one day and my son was in custody there's a long (laughs) long story of missed opportunities um, and lack of resources and poor decision-making on my part, as well as educators. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm much more aware and educated now, so the decisions I would have made 10 years ago based on what I know now would be very different. But tell me a little bit about Jordan. Did he have a diagnosis? Yeah, so he was, he was a little tough when he was younger. It was probably the toughest years with him um, until the last, the last couple. But um, he was I about six. I believe he was diagnosed um, ADHD, Tourette's, and ODD. Um, it took me, they wanted to put him on medication immediately, Ritalin and whatnot. So it took me a little while um, to decide to do that because all the research I did, I found you could become an addict, a drug addict, when you're older, taking it for so long. So, but I finally did because he was struggling. Um, he locked himself in lockers at school. He was, you know, tough on the playground. Um, he, it was the acting out, right? So um, I did finally, for his sake, to help him, I did it. Um, we had to find, he was on a, quite a few different ones in those years um, to find a good balance. So he was also, he wasn't in the regular system anymore um, for school. He went to the... Um, smaller classes and um, like the one on Merrifield here he was in um, grade 9 and 10 he was in one in Cambridge because we had moved for a little while so he was um, at one there there was only I think six six to eight kids in the class they were for three eight teachers and uh, they're all trained for this you know the the mental behaviors and stuff he excelled there he did really really good so sorry can I interject yeah so I, I just want to highlight that mm-hmm. your son definitely had special needs. Yeah. And this is quite common for kids in corrections with or without yeah. diagnosis. And that I, I highlight this just because we're also at a time in history right now in our province, particularly where they're trying to make cuts. 
Yeah. Uh, and the thing that crossed my mind right away is, gosh, well, you're going to cut to the education system. I guess you're going to be putting more money into corrections then because you're going to have kids with autism, kids with Tourette's, mm-hmm. kids with processing delays, and all of the kids that need the extra support to stay yeah. in school, which we know being included and being inclusive for kids with special needs is the number one way to not get their behavior criminalized. Um, so your son actually had an opportunity to have access to one of those classrooms. He was. He was excelling. He was, and he was he excelling. Was doing good. So he it was, works. Yes, it does work. He wanted to go to school. He was, he was doing good. He was passing, and he was excelling. He was in counseling. All that was there, but when you hit 16, they're, he they're gone. He lost the support. He lost the support. Yeah, they're, they're gone. There's right. nothing left. Then he decided that he didn't have to take the medication anymore because he never wanted to take it, right? The older he got, he's like, didn't want to. And I think that's common too, especially amongst boys, Um, even more so. I think the stigma around mental health um, uh, and, you know. He didn't think he needed it. Of course. (laughs) Nobody wants to need it. Right? Nobody wants to need it, right? Which is another issue that we need to tackle because... We need to help young people, particularly, understand that there's no shame in getting help, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, in all of these cases, the, what is the goal? We want people to be able to thrive long term. Your son has been robbed of that chance. Yeah. Um, but it, it's amazing to me that we can together look back and say, this is a moment where things were working for Jordan. Andrea, I even asked him, I said, well, what happens after that? After 16, what happens? She says, 50-50 chance. They, they continue to go to regular school or they drop out. Well, that's kind of a shitty odds. <laughs> like, so where he went, well, I, I'm not going. He tried. He tried to go in regular high school. It didn't. His anxiety was too high, so he couldn't go in with that many kids. You know, and it. It, I, I always like to highlight that this is a, a marginalizing and, and socioeconomic issue as well because if somebody has an exorbitant amount of resources and their child is in crisis or has special needs, that very small segment of population, and I know these people and we'll be interviewing them as well, are able to mortgage their house if they need to or you know invest whatever they can into private options. But and I, I didn't, yeah I didn't right have that no, no very few people do right <laughs> like so it's long. a small <laughs> a small portion of this of society. I guess I'm always trying to get taxpayers to really understand that when we don't invest in especially the most vulnerable among us, we'll just pay later. Mm-hmm. It's pay now or pay later. Mm-hmm. Um, so, gosh. So now... They have, they have, like, special ed in the high schools, but you have to be able to walk in the high school. That's right. My kid couldn't walk in the high school. Well, and we also know that the reason... It's too much. It's too many. It's too... So his anxiety just through the roof and he's calling me to go home. Yeah, and, and we also know that highlighting kids with behavioral or issues or special needs doesn't help them feel integrated what we need is more support we need more support in the classrooms in the actual classrooms for teachers so that all the kids can be together and that the kids who have risk factors can have support can can i say something yeah the focus like right now my little one she's 10 she's in grade five so I had to sign a paper, it was last year, the year before, for her to get the sex ed course, right? Right. So earlier than we did when we were right. younger, why aren't they doing those types of things for mental health? Right. They're giving awareness to, I, and I understand why, like I signed the paper 
you know, um, because it is educational and they do need to know it. I mean, it's a little bit early, I, I get, but not everybody would agree with me <laughs> on it. But why can't they put in to educate everybody on mental health? These kids are growing up with mm. mental health and addictions is a, is a bad stigma. And it's it's looked it's frowned upon. It's you're you're different. You're but it's so popular now, and it's so much now. Why aren't we educating right from from to all well, the kids? And I think it, it you know it's interesting because I was speaking with a friend of mine who's a principal, um, and they have put restorative practices into their school, uh, and all of the frontline staff, educators, uh, and administrators have taken this training. So there are people, but it's very much uh, an initiative taken by um, individual schools or individual boards. You're absolutely right. Mental health training across the board, you know, starting with the educators and administrators first, well, yeah. and then and then Talk the population. To the kids. Tell right? the kids that this isn't. You're not a bad person. You were. You're born with this. You're not. You know, because there's that mean part, right? With oh, oh, he has. Tourette's so he you know there's a stigma of that you know so then and it's the self-esteem socially unaccepted right right of course and low self-esteem we know drives bad behavior right right? so um you know I always say you know when you're dealing with educators you can tell when you're dealing with educators who are educated on this topic versus not because it's always about getting to root causes when we address behavior alone we are miserably failing because behavior certainly should come with consequences and accountability Mm -hmm. but a part of that accountability is learning to understand thyself if you will Mm -hmm. right so and understanding yourself is also accepting yourself but as a young person how can you accept yourself when you do not feel accepted yeah when you're right. not accepted. So it's a, well, the reality you're, is you're, you're not. not accepted, right? Yeah. So it's a vicious cycle. Yes. That's why I say that it goes right from that, like right from your peers. So I, he struggled for that all the time that he was outcast and he was a different person. And I I'm mean, so he's sorry. not the only one. Like, no, he's not. Now you, now it's, you hear a lot about autism. At first it was ADHD for a long time and now it's a lot of the kids with autism and stuff. I I have a friend whose son is autistic, right? They they struggle all the time. Yeah. That and the statistics on autistic children's behavior being criminalized is unbelievable. Right, but then so for him to be socially accepted, how can he be socially accepted when we don't even get what it is? You're not t- teaching your kids, you're not you know, it's on the same lines of um racism and Right. right, just because if I teach my daughter all the time, your skin color doesn't. It's the exact same thing, right? Right. Not, discrimination. Is yes, nice, that's, right. Yes, that's discrimination. Exactly so at yeah. sixteen, your son was cut from this program that was helping him. Yeah, there was no. Where he was thriving, yeah. and is that where things really started to? Well, he quit. Spiral down. He couldn't do it. He tried. He tried. We'll give him that, um, but he couldn't do it. So, but he did have his his computer thing. So he just like websites yes. and stuff like that. He was just so you were telling me that your yeah. son was extremely gifted computer when it whiz. came to computers, <laughs> yeah. um, and did it all by himself. Taught did himself. all by himself, and yeah. in fact, to the point where he was, you'd said he had had a job offer from Instagram. Yeah, um, so he thousand dollars a year. They want to move him to New York. Brilliant, yeah. right? So this this. And this is so common for kids who I, I don't even love the term you special know why he needs. Didn't go? Why? His socially he couldn't go. Socially. 
he couldn't go to Not New working. York by himself. So he said, no, I was so mad at him. I'm like, are, are you kidding me? <laughs> you go. I'm only on the other side of the border. I can go and see you. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I was, I was upset he didn't take that. Yeah. But I guess you can also understand, right? Because he needed that level of support. He needed that coaching. Well, he would have been by himself. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I, I think what's interesting to me is this is where we see, because I have consistently said nine times out of 10 children's behavior is criminalized in the school system first. And Almost always, it will be children who have got special needs, and usually these kids are actually really smart, um, but they're not able to fit into the box. I'm going to give you an example. So he was in high school, and the little time that he was there, um, they've always, turns always had low marks. You can't give him a book and tell him, here, read this and do these questions forget it he was a hands-on he was he taught himself this whole computer thing by taking things apart he was little he would walk home from school from princess elizabeth at the time in welland and he used to take you know when you throw trash out people throw their stereos and vcrs and dvds or whatever he would bring them home take them apart but never knew how to get them back together this is where he started teaching himself his closet would be piled up with electronics that he's taken apart. It used to frustrate me, but he was teaching himself. He was learning, right? So if so, he they've always labeled him because of his his disabilities. He is always labeled. He always had um, an IEP. The IEPs, right? So this principal calls me the one day, losing it. Miss Case, we have a problem. Um, Jordan hacked into the system in computer class, put up a screen so the IT guy, they couldn't see what he was doing. So he had two screens, I guess, going, I don't know, ghost <laughs> screen or something. I don't know all that tech stuff, right? right. So I'm laughing because she's telling me the IT guy stumped. I'm laughing. She, Miss Case, she's beside herself. Doesn't even know what to do. Miss Case, this is no laughing matter. How many times do you want me people to tell you he is smart? Well, and it's interesting because a child right? like him, like, she should have been calling you saying, Miss Case, you have a genius on your hands. Right. What, how are we going to channel all she this intelligence? Do, all she wanted to do was... was um, punish him. Punish him for it. And meanwhile, which, which I do get. I mean, you can't, you can't do that either. But I'll tell the story years after. And my son, he goes, Mom, do you want me to tell you the whole thing? <laughs> and he's laughing at me. I'm like, what? Because I love that story because... That just shows his brilliance, right? Of course. As a mother, he, you should be proud of that intelligence. But yeah. it's also, it's another, it, it's another kind of raging example yeah. of a failure, of the failure that the mainstream education yeah. system is because we've got so many brilliant children who are being ostracized because they do not fit in the box. And it's all fine and dandy for people to say, too bad, you have to fit in the box. But some people just can't. And yeah. they weren't meant to. Bill Gates did not fit in the box. It Jordan didn't fit in the box. Right? Oh. Uh, most of the brilliant people <laughs> of our time did not fit in the box. Yeah. And if they do not get the right opportunities, mm-hmm. it's soul-sucking for them. Yeah. Um, which I want to get to right now. Which Well, you know, to finish my story. Sorry. Because she was focused on the yeah. punishment part, which I do agree because that is wrong. But he goes, Mom, you don't even get it. I was so far into the the school board, I could have changed everybody's grades. That we didn't know that at the time, but that's how far into their that's how smart he was. But he didn't. He could have changed his own grades. He could have put himself right 
you know, right to A's wow. across the board and passing out. He didn't. But he had to prove to himself that he could do that and showed them that he could do that. Amazing. And all she wanted to do instead of saying, okay, we've, you know, maybe we should be doing this with this kid. All she wanted to do is, which I, she suspended him for it, which, okay, fine. But that was her only focus and then it was dropped. Even, well, and don't get me, suspensions have been shown to not do anything but worsen behavior, so that's a whole other... I mean, the punish- I, I get that, even when he was in jail. Yes, you did wrong, you shouldn't have... Yes, there's a punishment. There, but consequences. Same, consequences. There is, right? Right. And just because he had mental health issues doesn't remove him from having them. Right. Punishments, but I, the society goes around it wrong. Yeah. And there should be more for them. Yeah. So at 16 now, Jordan drops out of school. Mm -hmm. He's at home. He has lost the structure and the purpose that Mm -hmm. this program has given him. And uh, what do the next few years before he gets incarcerated look like? So um, he was just doing his computer thing. He was building websites and stuff like that. So he's making a few bucks on the side for that. He's helping me with my daughter because I was a single mom. So he's helping me with my my little tiny one there. And um, we had moved back down to this area again. Um, So he was doing good. And everybody used to always say, well, he's hiding in his room. Why do you let him have the computer so much? Well, uh, to be honest, I knew where he was. In teenage kids, especially boys, they're gone and doing their thing and some are partying some are you know so I just I knew where he was I felt good I mean he was on the computer a little too much but um he started getting doing some hacking that he shouldn't have been doing so he did start getting into a little bit of trouble it didn't it didn't get him into trouble where he was charged but um he was getting warnings on what he was doing yeah so he gave me the computer and said I can't do this anymore I'm I'm gonna get in trouble. I can't be in trouble. Um, he sold it, so he sold the laptop. He worked so hard to get. Um, and then after that, there was nothing. He didn't have anything. He wasn't working socially. He couldn't work. He couldn't go to school because his anxiety was too high. He couldn't make, he couldn't be around all the people. And now he just gave up the one thing that all that's really all he had. That was his life. That freaking computer was his whole life. Um, and then that was it. So now he's out, you know, hanging out with the boys and just doing whatever. He's 18 years old. So he's off doing his thing and, and met the wrong people and then mm-hmm. started and started partying. And Jordan never partied before. Grade mm-hmm. eight was the only time that he had drinks and <laughs> right. But through the whole years until 18, he never did anything. He didn't no drugs, no drinking. He never smoked. And it slowly started once he started hanging around all these people and was meeting different people. And eventually it was down this rough road. I kicked him out at one point. And no doubt other kids themselves in crisis, right? You know, yeah, yeah, right. For sure. And, and it was, there's not some great stuff going on in Welland. I'll tell you that much. So it's, it's, that city's been going downhill for quite a few years. Right. Um, a lot of drugs through there. I mean, it's in every town, but. Welland is for yeah. a small town the the amount is yeah. huge but um anyway so that's what he yeah was doing that for I actually just heard through the grapevine years. that 
enough fentanyl was seized in the Niagara region to kill three cities. Holy shit. Oh my god. Yeah. So I, I don't, I haven't been able to fact check that. Well, I'm glad they got it check off the that, But, but uh, we, yeah, we have a serious problem on our hands. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So now Jordan does get in conflict with the law. Like, yeah. So he was like the petty theft stuff. Um, and I let it be consequence of, hey, he wanted me to bail him out and everything else. No, nope. you, you know, for the first couple times, right? He was in, we're talking six months span. Before that, he wasn't in trouble with the law. He was still from Walmart. And I think as a parent, when your child gets in conflict with the law, I think the message is, let's tough love them out of it. Oh, yeah. Right? And, and, I and that. Well, we all, I think we all have at some point. But because corrections is so toxic right now, you're not tough loving them out of it. They're but right, I didn't know but that. you didn't know that. I'm, no. I, no, I'm not saying this with judgment. Yeah, I'm recognizing oh, no, no. that I've t- tried to tough love stuff out of my son as well, and it actually just made things so so much worse. And if you actually look at attachment theory, my dad tough loved me. I'm still standing. Right? It, 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 it <laughs> might work for some kids. It might work for I some thought people. It was the right thing to do. Of course, I was. I he's been. I've been his life all of. Yeah. growing up right His and you thought mosh real like he'll change for me around. right you know I, that's my job I'm mom and dad and you know so I've got to be I can't be the softy and that you know I that, it was hard the decisions were hard yeah. so um he got into a little bit of trouble there didn't do the community service and whatnot so um that landed him in and then and that was just from stealing from Walmart or whatever so then I think I think there was a charge in the middle that could have been in a fight or something. Not 100% on that. I'm not 100% on all the stuff, but I know it was never, like, major, major. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Um, so he was out for a little while. I had gotten him in to detox a couple times. He would leave. His anxiety, again, his anxiety would go up. Um, because through those years of Jordan having Tourette's and high anxiety, he found coping mechanisms. The coping was chewing gum because he didn't have the verbal Tourette's, um, like to just swear out loud, yeah. which is the stigma yeah. of Tourette's, but he had um, like chewing on things. So when he was younger, he would chew on his shirts. I had went through so many shirts, um, pencils, like he was always had to do something with his mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so gum, by the time he got older, it was gum. So you right. buy him like big things of gum, right? So he always had to have. And that was how he would self-regulate. Yeah, and his anxiety, he, it was music. So he always had to have um, his iPod with music and mm. with his headphones. But they take that when he's in there. Right. So but he didn't know how to cope without any of that. Right. Right? So he was gone in 24 hours. Right. He was, I was, had to pick him up or he was hitchhiking from St. Catharines back to Welland. So it was frustrating. Um, so right before he had actually gone in, um, he was at a homeless shelter at a church on the weekend. I picked him up from there. Um, we were calling the detox centers for three days. Um, couldn't get him in. They're full. They, I, I'm pretty sure there's 13 beds and that's it for the men's detox. Well, there's far too many people in this region. The addictions are so high right now. We're in a crisis right now across Ontario with thirteen with beds, overdoses. I'm yeah. I'm have to do more research to back myself up. But 100%. it's not surprising. But that facility is the only one I know of for men that is thirteen beds. Mm-hmm. Oh, come on, it's that's so you can't not get enough. him in. 
can't get him in. Um, I, I we were in St. Catharines. I was on afternoons. I had to go to work, so um, he says, "Okay, well, drop me off in Welland. They'll call me later and they'll cab me there." Right. Like, okay, so I got bought him some more toiletries and stuff. Dropped him off at his buddy's house that he throws rocks at his windows. <laughs> dropped him off there and went off to work and just. I didn't want to go to work. I wanted to call in because I didn't want to leave him there. I knew not to leave him. Was that the last time you saw him? Yes. Um, He went in. He ended up charged a few days later or arrested, whatever, Um, a few days later. um, I'm only now being told that it was, well, it was theft again. A little bit higher this time. Um, But for drugs because that's all he knew. Right. That was it. And I can't, I can't, this whole time I couldn't bring him here. I have a 10-year-old. My 10-year-old, Jordan's behavior would be erratic. So he would be fine. And then if he comes in here high as a kite, and because once he did push me to the ground, I can't have that around my 10-year-old. I have to protect her at the same time. It's all, But, you know, Mom, I just have to tell you, that's okay. Like, you didn't do anything wrong. Well, I know. I know, but it's it's. it's, Listen, I'll tell you something. (laughs) I constantly remember this story which has nothing to do with the things that we're going through. And it was a woman during this tsunami and she had her five-year-old and she had her newborn in her arms and she had to let go of her five-year-old because she knew she was going to drown with both of them. She ended up being reunited. And I remember reading the reports like, how could a mother do that? How could a mother do that? And Hardest thing you know, in the world. And I'll tell you, as a mother who has also had to choose the welfare and well-being of my other two children, yeah. it's hard to live with, hey? Yeah, don't do that. Sorry. <laughs> don't do that it is because even when he was in there for those two months because the first time he went in I told him I am not going to be beside you if you're in and out of here because I have to be I've got to be the tough one right so I've got to put the the tough love in and say okay no this is not okay I will if you want to be in and out of jail this is the life you want to live I will not be here I will not come and see you in here so when he went in again I had to do that. It was killing me all the time that, no, I can't go visit him. I feel terrible now that it, that all these moms are saying, oh, I visit every week and this. I didn't even do that. I know, because you don't know I what to do. I didn't even get to you see You don't know what to those, do. I, you know. But, Andrea, I didn't know it was going to be the last time. Like, I know. Like, that, it's, that's the guilt I live. I could have bailed him out at any point in time for those two months he was in there. But here am I going, nope. No, I can't because I've got my little one here. I can't because you need to get better. And I really thought, I really, really thought nobody wants their kid in jail. But I was okay with him being there because I really thought, okay, he's going to sober up. This is going to be it. He's going to be in there for a bit. He's going to sober up. He's... Which little did I know. brings me to our next point and all the work that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Nobody can understand the conditions that these young men particularly, uh, and some young women in Canada are living in. Um, the general public says, too bad for you, you do the crime, suck it up. Oh my God, I hear but, that all the time. But, you know, for those of us who are in it, um, family members, loved ones, corrections officers, who are not all bad, everyone is suffering. Not all of them. <laughs> everyone is suffering yeah. in there, right? Um, every- the MPP, Jeff Birch... Um, he's at MPP for Niagara Central. He went in there a few weeks ago. He's appalled. He's appalled at the conditions for the inmates and the staff. 
And the, the point I continue to hammer home to the average everyday citizen who is a taxpayer, and I say to them, even if you decide you do not care about these human beings because you've decided that morally they don't deserve your love or compassion or forgiveness. Because then that goes to, we, you did it, you did the correct But if, that's even if that's here. how you feel, let's talk mm-hmm. about how your tax dollars are being spent. Because when we are not providing restorative justice and corrections in corrections, mm-hmm. we are actually harming society because we are breaking people we are taking broken people and we are breaking them further and there's then we're the releasing them out. in there and there's actual services. So I responded to Sylvia Jones because I wrote a letter. So Sylvia Jones, who's the corrections minister? Yeah. She, the solicitor general, they call her now. They've changed her, oh, her okay. title. Um, she was the Ministry of um, Community Safety and Correctional Services. Um, but anyway, so this is her job down the line. So I wrote a letter about Jordan and questioning her on the conditions and especially the overcrowding just in Niagara Detention Center alone it was built for 125 people right now there's 280 right so how do you house 280 people in a building meant for 125 right right so so it's 200% over capacity that's insane how can the guards even do their job? The, the ones the who guards actually can't. do their job. Well, and this is why I say I'm not, you know, I consistently say the guards, well, there's, oh, there's always bad seeds, but then somebody would say that same thing about criminals. You know, how people respond to traumatic environments and events is very is subject to a lot of factors. You know, I just watched a, a Fifth Estate documentary about a woman's a woman whose husband killed himself. He was a corrections officer who had gotten attacked. And then he started to beat his wife. He was actually a criminal when he killed himself, mm-hmm. actually, which I point out to people. So we have to have trauma-informed environments in order for people to heal. And that's where everybody benefits. Well, her response, she's gotten, they're putting in place things for um, the COs. But the only other thing she talked about was the policies. The, the um, mental health and stuff like that. It's all, you're assessed when you go in and this and that. She's, you know, playing it. Well, those are the freaking policies. So my response to her, my last letter was, okay, you point that out, but by the way, we've all done our homework and we all know those policies. <laughs> to be honest with you, right? Yeah. So don't give me a letter of policies. Well, Our, we've, we've already, all of us who are fighting right now against them, it, we already know the policies. We've done. Look at Jessica, like her. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we already know that. So don't tell me something I already know. Yeah. But you're not doing that. Regurgitating policies. policies uh, she actually referenced Canadian corrections in Parliament the other day. Uh, I think it was at the beginning of March. She referenced Can- Canadian corrections as standing up to all corrections worldwide. I, I thought I was going to spit my coffee out right there. I said to myself, Either she's been scripted to say that, or she's never been inside a jail, or she's completely delusional. That was the last one. I just saw that one, too. Because I, there's, no, there's not one corrections officer. So if we don't want to listen what to... What she said in that meeting is exactly pretty much what I got in my letter. Yeah. So she, even it's all scripted. Wayne Gates, MPP for Niagara Falls, he had addressed it yesterday um, to Sylvia this whole situation with corrections in, in actually a lot on me mm-hmm. and I got the transcript back. Same thing. Yeah. Well, shame on Sylvia Jones, same. to be honest. And that's what he said. She, of course she didn't answer any questions. No, shame, so shame I wrote on her. her back and said, why is it we ask you these questions and you beat around them all the time? 
why we need answers and we need um show us do it so we've got just a couple minutes left Mm -hmm. what is it that what are the the kind of two like low-hanging points right now that you would like to see like what are the changes that we need immediately to make sure that another young or another person another human being does not die in the custody of canadian corrections first of all you need to you need to clean house 100 percent, you need to clean house recently um they just shut down one of the jail not shut it down but uh, locked down one of the jails to do a drug search well if if some of the correctional staffs are in on it and making money because this is what the stuff that's coming to me you would you would be appalled at the stuff that comes mm. to me from inmates from family members of the stuff that's happening in there I know some of those I'm sorry but some of those correctional officers are corrupt so if you're gonna if you're gonna lock the jail down and clean sweep, which also makes it hard for other corrections officers, I might add. It does because Absolutely. I'm about I am mm-hmm. I'm trying to connect with this corrections officer that left the industry ten yep. years ago, and uh, you know, truth is, he saw guards I bumping have... coke off the desk themselves. Yeah, and then going out and throwing down beatdowns on inmates. Actually, making money to bring it in. Yeah. So first of all, let's clean house. So that clean sweep. <laughs> right? Right. Why are they not... When I went to see my son, I called her on this one. Why did I go see my son? I didn't go through no scanner. Why is the staff not going through the scanners? The staff should be going through the scanners every single so time. So visitors and staff, none of us are going through the scanners, but only the inmates are? Are you stupid? <laughs> that's just being naive. I'm sorry, but no. that's just being dumb and naive. It right? Is, it is. Any single person that walks through those doors should be put through those scanners. Yeah. Right? Um, that the overcrowding. To, oh, you have to do something. Well, so that's and just, that's so the overcrowding piece, you know, and I think this is a difficult piece, right? Because it actually starts with the early intervention. It deci- and it also is about who should be in custody because the answer to overcrowding oh, has been tells let's me, build bigger jails. But that's not what we need to do. That's what she thinks she needs to do. No, but she tells me that everybody gets this um, assessment when they go in. Well, they're supposed to. Not everybody gets but it. But they're not. Right. So now you, you stuck them all. I'm learning now that my son probably wasn't by himself. Mm, he, well, right. So he well, wasn't. that doesn't shock me. Right. Because uh, they're overcrowded. You know, you've they got have to. Cells so now you're for... mixing populations that you're not supposed to be yeah. mixing. Well, where's your policy, Sylvia? Right. That's a policy across the board. Right. I'm being told a general population inmate was in the same cell as my son, who's a PC segregation inmate. I often think That's to myself, if we took the fire department down to Niagara Detention Center and had them do a quick run-through, <laughs> how they would, what they would respond to. And people, again, can say, all the inmates don't matter. Well, yes, they do, because they're Phew. somebody's mother, they're somebody's brother, they're yeah. somebody's sister. There are people there with Everybody autism. Everybody makes a bad decision There are people there who have, yeah. um, uh, um, uh, sorry, there's... Uh, People there who have Alzheimer's, who have um, committed crimes, who have actually need treatment. There are so many people who need rehabilitation and need treatment and are not getting it. And if our money was being funded properly, not one penny should go into corrections. Not one penny should go into corrections. It should go into um, rehabilitation. So with that, you and I have lots more to talk about. Um, but we will end it for today. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Um, Thanks for uh, having me. We've got a lot of work to do. Yes, we do.
So that was the amazing Angela Case, uh, grieving mother of Jordan Case, who died in custody December 1st, 2018. She is making meaningful gains and strides in terms of uh, justice reform. Uh, Please follow her if you uh, want to learn more um, at Justice for Jordan on Facebook or check out the hashtag Justice for Jordan. We will keep you posted. Um, Don't mess with moms. That's what I say. Don't mess with moms.